0: Alright, here we are. Simple series. I want to just jump right in. We're in the book of Acts. Open your Bibles. Turn over to the second chapter. There's a section of Scripture today. You know, we we read Scripture as followers of Jesus and uh, some of us read probably more Scripture than others. But this is a section that I I cannot tell you. I've probably read it thousands of times. I went through a period uh, several years ago. I read it every day for like 45 days, and then I'll go back to it, and I'll read it, and I'll read it. I read it so many times this week, and you're saying, are, are you that slow? Well, yeah, and I, I just need to be reminded. So I want you to stand with me this morning. Would you do that? And if you have your Bibles, just have them right in front of you. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Yours could be just a little different, but if you'll listen to God's Word, this is a powerful section. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, I want you to hear this all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship to the sharing in meals including the lord's supper and to prayer a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had they sold their property possessions and shared the money with those in need they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. Now, right before you get seated, I, just want, I want this word. This, how many of you believe this is the living word of God? This is infallible. This is inherent. This is God's spoken word inspired by the Holy Spirit thousands of years ago for us in 2016. This word has not changed. Right before you get seated, turn to the person and say, God's word's not changed. Tell the person next to you and then be seated. Okay, you can be seated. Some of you just don't stand there like, what does he want us to do? Okay. Because you see, what scares me is there's theological schools, seminaries, graduate schools, churches that are trying to propagate that the word of God has changed today and it has not changed. It is constant. It is stable. It is steadfast. It is eternal. God's word is flawless. I believe that with all my heart. And it's the only measure that I have. Matter of fact, when you look at Acts 2, 42 through 47, i would just write in your notes. It's not going to come on the screen, but this is what I'd say. Be a high-impact church. Just be a high impact church that's what god wants for our church that's what god wants for his church the bride of christ across the country the practice of the early church here they were very committed to the word they, they loved the scriptures now the early church did did not have the bible like we have they had the old testament they had scrolls but the new testament had not been yet written so they didn't have this bible that we know is god's written word to us this morning but they were committed to the scriptures another thing i know They were committed to making Jesus Christ the focal point of all their celebrations. See, the early church, they would meet in house to house, and they would gather, and we'll talk about that in a few moments, but they celebrated. They celebrated the grace of Jesus. They celebrated the goodness of the Lord, but they were a celebratory people. I love that. They also, in the early church, they were committed to one another relationships, They considered others better than themselves, as Philippians tells us, and they loved each other, and they gathered, and they shared their possessions, as the scripture said. And another thing they did, they were highly, deeply committed to praying. Man, they were a praying church. Man, they saw the miraculous deeds of Jesus. And I wonder sometimes why we don't see maybe as much activity as they did. You see, there's a word, I'll give you a word, it's called sensationist. It means that There's a camp out there that believes the the miracles have ceased. They're not for today. I will tell you in Jesus' name, the miracles are for today. And God's people said, I mean, I had a miraculous healing in my neck at year five in this church. I know about the supernatural healing power of God. Now, it's not every time on demand. It's God's thing, but God heals and he speaks. And there's a couple main structures in the early church. They were large groups, celebratory, like we're here. And they would go into the synagogue, they would go into the temple, and they would gather with their friends. And in that day, you know, I'm so glad we've changed from this. The women would pretty much be in the back, and the men would be up front. And you women are like, sexist? Okay, don't, 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 don't write me, okay. And it's kind of the way it was, and the men had opportunities to have maybe more education. And the women were really busy, and they were chasing little kids, and Johnny and Beth and Susie and all the kids all over the temple. So they were in the back. So when they got home, they probably had to tell them, you no, know, what did the rabbi talk about today? But they celebrated. But the Bible also says in Acts 20, 20 and other passages, it says that they met in homes and they would go from home to home meeting with one another. And when they did, they would have prayer meeting in those rooms. You know, a lot of times there's just all this rhetoric about what's the size of your church? What's the church attendance? What's the church budget? What's this and that? And, of course, I've been a part of that over the years and can get caught up like that with anybody. But here's the thing. I think God wants to assess more than the size of the church, the health of the church. Write that down. God is concerned about the spiritual health of the church. And the health is the members of the bride of Christ. And it's how healthy your soul is individually, and then your souls come together collectively in a corporate manner like this. And God sees the health, and he sees is our church passionate. Is our church on fire for him? Does our church love him? And there's a response here. I like what the new uh, believers were like here in the early church. They were like newlyweds. They just couldn't seem to be apart from one another. Okay, I thought it was funny. But, but they, 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 the men, they were, they were like glue, man. They were always sitting by each other. They had their arm around each other. They were always connected. They always wanted to know what the other one was thinking. That early church, they, they met daily. I mean, they, we've come so far today. We want to see if we can get it in a quick sermonette or get it in a podcast or if we can do this or that and yet this church they had passion they had power they had miracles and they did things together and they had teaching and fellowship and breaking of bread and we've read this section here i just want you to look down there in acts two forty-two. it says all the believers devoted themselves it didn't say some of the believers devoted it said all of them All of them them that named the name of Jesus, they came together and they were a biblically functioning community of faith. According to what they had of the word of the Torah, of what they knew of scripture, they would practice it. They would function how God wanted to. You know, today... It's really easy to get in different camps in the Church of Jesus Christ, and it's easy to be a maybe a word church. and a word, Jesus is the Word, incarnate. and, and it, it, we want to emphasize the word. and I love some denominations, and they're a little better than other denominations, and they focus on the Word. And then, but we we if we're not careful, we just get a lot of head knowledge and, and God wants us to move to application. Another thing is, some people emphasize the Bible, and that's great, but they deny the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit is for today and he has an active role in the life of the church? How many believe that? Just hold your hand up. The Holy Spirit is active and dominant, and he's a person. He's not just some power or some force. He is the person of God. He's he's the, the Trinitarian fellowship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, growing up in the church for so many years, we never heard much about the Holy Spirit. I've done series on the Holy Spirit. Do you believe the Holy Spirit is your friend? I do. Do you believe the Holy Spirit comforts and convicts and guides? I do. Do you believe the Holy Spirit has power? Unbelievable power unleashed in the church. Some in the church today, they just want to emphasize the Holy Spirit and only spiritual gifts. And they're just like fanatics, and they're obsessed with spiritual gifts, and they've departed from the Word. You see, I believe the New Testament church was a Word and a Spirit church, and the church said, it's the Word, it's the Word. Centrality of the Word, the Lord Jesus, His Word for us today. But it's the power of the Spirit, and, and then if we're not careful, we can just neglect evangelism all together and go, well, you know, I don't know. You know we, we love the Holy Spirit, we love the Word, but how about evangelism? What's for us? And I think the early church, it talks about here... Uh, Jesus added the head of the church. He added to the church. So it tells me the church was not static. The church was not stagnant. The church was not just stable. The church was saturated with the presence of God. And in this place, when we get in the saturated presence of Jesus, things happen. Lives are changed. Marriages are healed. Relationships are restored. Restored. Life is experienced when we submit and get still before Him. I love that. That song says, Here Now, and you heard it over and over. I hope you'll listen to it. You can go this afternoon, you can watch it online. You can see that over and over if you want to from the team. But it says, that The believers were together, they had everything in common. Because you see, in the early church, they were prone to discouragement, they were prone to temptation. They were prone to apathy and failure and materialism and all the things we struggle with. I mean, they had to battle those things in their spirit, in their life, in their walk with God. And yet, what did God do? He gave us the Word. He gave us Christ. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Listen. And he gave us each other. He gave the person next to you. He gave the person a section over or another section over. He gave us the body to be the body. I'm glad God didn't just say, you know what, I'm going to save you, I'm going to redeem you but you're going to isolate and you're not going to do life with other people. He gave us the body of Christ to be marked with the people that would practice the presence of Christ. So let's look down here because I want you to see these marks of the early church and, and what they did because the early church, let, let me say this, the early church had to rely on verbal instruction because they didn't have the written word as we have. We get to hear the verbal, the teachers, the exhortation, and that's good. But we also have the compiled, written, canonized Word of God. How many of you love your Bibles? And see, I wouldn't ask you this morning, like, how many of you have read your Bibles today? Don't, don't hold your hand up. How many of you will read your Bibles today? Don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you have read your Bible this week, this month? Okay, let's do a big one. How many of you have read your Bibles in 2016? And, and please, don't raise your hand like, no, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't read it this year. God gives us the word for for instruction, for transformation. So there's some things here that I see in in this word that is so cool. And and let's look there in verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I want you to circle the word apostles' teaching. And I want you to fill in your outline the word the truth. The early disciples were committed to the truth Of God's word, they were committed to truth beyond. They they believed that there was a lot to learn, a lot to gain. That they needed instruction. They needed to be taught. And today, you know, if you don't have learning, if you're not taught, you know, you have the resident teacher, the Holy Spirit that we've talked about, and you have teachers in the body of Christ, and they teach us, and it's so needed. And this instruction, you know, you know what the apostles' teaching was? It was all about doctrine, about sound teaching. And they would pass on the acts of Jesus. They would would talk about the power and the the blood and the resurrection and the relationship and all all these various uh, tasks. So every Christian here, I think, is a theologian. In the sense that it's our, we all have a, a framework, a study of God. And it's important that we get good doctrine. See, a lot of times we don't talk about the doctrine because we think, well, doctrine's dull, doctrine's legalistic, doctrine's boring. Let me say this. Doctrine is essential in the body of Christ that we have something to attach to. And that is God's word, and it doesn't change. Are y'all grateful this morning God's word does not change? It's not like, well, you know, God was thinking in the year 2000 that he would begin to think differently about ordination and he would ordain homosexuals and that he would think the marriage covenant was not between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Do y'all think God changed his mind? No. No. And yet, there are ecclesiastical circles all over the country, all over the world, that are debating stuff like this that is absolutely nonsense because the Word of God has the power to change our lives, and it doesn't change, and we need sound doctrine. And it comes from the Word, the apostolic teachings, the beginning of the church here. And and these people, listen back to this, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They, They would sit at the feet of the rabbis, of the apostles, and they would listen to these teachings about Jesus. They would, they would uh, I'd write this in the margin somewhere. Are you open to God's Word? Are you open to being taught God's Word? When you are, there comes change. There comes conviction over preference. There comes the power of Christ. So I love it. They were committed to the truth. They didn't neglect the ministry of the Word. They, they were out declaring Christian doctrine. And I know Christian doctrines a lot of times are not popular, but God's word is essential. God's word is just what you and I need. And if we don't know what God's word says, then we can fall for anything, and we'll fall for everything every time. So, God, I'm glad that, I'm glad that when I came to Christ, somebody grabbed me and says, Keith, this is an ancient book with ancient letters and ancient wisdom, but it's eternal. It's God-breathed. And you need this for your spiritual life, for your spiritual journey. So you better learn the apostles' teachings. You better embrace it. Then you can experience it. Then transformation can come. God can renew and transform your mind and your will and your life. So here it is, exploring God's word together. Back to it, the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to to the doctrine, strict adherence to the truth. They were... um, I believe today our world is filled with people that are on a quest searching for truth. Truth. What is truth? And I think truth is ultimately found in the person of Jesus. And that's where we find our sins forgiven. That's where we find the answers to life. That's where we find how we're made, how we're created, what our purpose is. Uh, The the early church, it it prospered. But you see, here's, here's the thing. Just think about it for a minute. The early church prosper, prospered because they were committed to the doctrine and to the apostles' teaching. But I think today, if we're not careful, the church has drifted from the teaching of the Bible if we're, if we're not focused on it. And when we drift from the teachings of here, we're in trouble. We'll, we'll just follow anybody. We'll just go after anything that makes our ears itch. They, they make us feel good. And God says, man, my word, I want you to have it. So the four marks of the early church, they were committed to the, to the truth. Can you say it with me? They were committed to the truth. Say it with me. They were committed to the truth. The next thing they were committed, there was a, uh, there was a tie. There was this tie, this tie that bound them together. It was this blessed uh, fellowship, if you would. It says, I wrote in the outline, they devoted themselves to the, to the fellowship. Uh, I like the word, they devoted themselves to the band of brothers, to a band of sisters, to, to the body of Christ. They, they had sharing in common. It was uh, participating in, they, they connected with one another. They knew that their friends were going to be killed and martyred and crucified and persecuted. And yet they'd seen Jesus and they'd heard of Jesus and they knew he, he was the Messiah, and he was the way to the Father. And they began to follow him. They began to embrace him. And then this word, I just wrote it right here in the middle of your page, koanea. It's just a Greek word. It means they shared things in common. They went in the same direction. They connect. There was a connectedness in the body of Christ. So I love this section because it says the believers were devoted to the apostles' teaching but to fellowship. You see, in the modern day, when I became a Christian, 38 years ago this past week, I started walking with Jesus. I can't believe it's almost been four decades. And I, I wasn't raised in the church and didn't know a lot about the church. And I had a little religious training and, and then I radically met Jesus. And, and I remember started going to church and I couldn't wait for the doors to open to the church. And I couldn't wait for somebody to teach me God's word. I just had this insatiable desire to hunger for God. And and then they introduced me quickly to this thing called Fellowship Hall. And and I know you laugh, but I didn't understand what Fellowship Hall was. And then I found out Fellowship Hall was a really good place. You ate really good down there. And in our church, I'm sorry, we don't have a Fellowship Hall. We have a multi-purpose Uh, facility we call this the living room some of you call it the chapel some of you call it the worship center some of you call it the sanctuary this is where we gather but if you come back at other times we throw up tables and chairs and the food comes out and then we break it into a fellowship hall so when you ask people they committed themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship they go hallelujah gospel bird we eat we feast we get obese hallelujah it's horrible fellowship hall i understand it was it was meant to connect people around tables and 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 here's what we found interesting if you go into most churches they don't have round tables they have long tables and don and i went to a great church for a lot of years and we had these long tables and they would be like oh my goodness don and i would be down here and about 2733 people down there with somebody else And there was no connecting. So when Christ's community was built, I remember we were studying about how to have fellowship. We had learned a concept, get round tables, and we bought all these round tables. And I thought it was so cool because everybody was gathered in, looking at one another, connecting with one another. How many of you like round tables now? Some of you are like, no, I want one of them long tables. Hey, true story. I was in the gym back during Christmas. A few months before that, and I saw this uh, this woman came up to me, and she started, she asked me a question. I was trying to, you know, work out, and, and I said, yeah. And she goes, you're a pastor. I go, I am? And she goes, and, cause, and I said, well, hey, do you have a church home? She goes, no. And I thought, hallelujah, man, this is going to be good. Work out and cheer Jesus with somebody. And then she made a comment I've never forgotten. She goes, wait a minute. I've seen you before. I thought, oh, crud." She goes, you go to that church. This is true. She goes, you go to that church that has tables. And I looked at her and said, huh? Tables? I mean, we have some tables. She goes, no. My husband and I came to your church a few years ago, and y'all had tables all set up in the round one morning. I was introducing small groups and promoting small groups, so we set the whole worship center up in a small group experience with tables. Can I just tell you, we probably will never do it again. It was horrible. Like, People were worshiping, and people had their backs to the screens, and, and people were doodling and all that. But all she remembered was we're the church that has tables, therefore she never came back. I assured her we don't have tables now; they're put up. But anyway, I, I, I just share that we got the fellowship here, connecting, common interests, uh, going for it, having things in common. Um, but you know, at the table of fellowship, sometimes there can be friction. And the only way I know to overcome friction, write this down, is to die. The only way I know not to have friction with people that think differently than me is to die. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself, die. Pick up your cross daily and follow after me. And I was thinking, God, that's the kind of fellowship you want. High standards for the church. You know what I'm amazed is I'm studying this scripture here devoted to apostles teaching to to fellowship, and and I thought about how people are, uh, uh, they have different standards for things. And if you're a part of a club, a club or a fraternity or sorority, they have all these rules and things you need to follow, And, and they'll set the standards. And if you don't adhere to certain standards, you get kicked out. But I've often thought about the church of Jesus. If we begin to raise the bar, not to be legalist, I don't like legalism and I don't like Pharisees, okay? Read the scripture, Jesus is all on the Pharisees. But the church of the living Christ should be the most holy place on the universe and our lives should be higher than others in terms of morality, in terms of conviction, in terms of being like Christ. And the church said, but you know what I've heard? Uh, you're judging us. Well, the Scripture says about not judging, but it also says, but judgment starts in the house of God. I don't judge those outside the walls because they're just living out their Adamic sin nature. I mean, that's the way fools and sinners live. But those that claim the name of Jesus, God's given us the teachings of the apostles, and we say, this is your word. This is how I need to live. So sometimes we have to have a little friction, and you're saying, you call it friction now, do you? All right, look at, look at uh, Philippians 2.3. It'll come up on the screen. Look at this verse. Let it get in your heart. Don't be selfish. Wow, that's enough for me. Somebody come up and close us in prayer. I mean, don't be selfish. Has anybody been selfish today? Okay, hypocrites, next. All right, all right, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Has anybody tried to impress anybody else today? Okay, you're shaking your head. Yes. Anybody else? Did you try to impress anybody? Okay. Here's a way we impress each other. I mean, I understand. Uh, did you did you did you put on a dirty shirt from yesterday? <laughs> that's poor hygiene. Okay. Or, or maybe you had something new or whatever, and you wanted to impress or you wanted to have the right whatever. And and then it says, be humble, thinking of others better than yourselves. Well, that's the way of Jesus. I want to consider others better than me. And in this early church, the apostles teaching where they had fellowship. I just know they considered each other precious because the Bible says then they shared their possessions. And next weekend I'm going to talk about simple generosity, but let's don't go there today. So there was a community that was attentive. They, uh, they, they, they were dependent upon the Lord. And I just wondered, I was thinking about this this week, if our church became so dependent on Jesus and we always pointed to Christ and we were always trying to die that he might live in and through us, and we were dependent on Christ and we pointed people to Christ, then people probably wouldn't notice our fellowship because our fellowship would look different than other fellowships and it would definitely look different from the world because the the church would be following the apostles' teaching and they would be framed by the word of God and they would be going after Christ, amen? And God says, that's what I want for my church. I want it to be a community that astounds people. I want my fellowship to be a fellowship that is stunning, that it has miracles, that it has the presence of God. And sometimes... We might offend each other with a teaching. Uh, this morning I was talking to a young man in, in our church, and I love him, and I love his zeal for Christ. And he was, talking about he was put in a spot recently, and somebody asked him about his faith, and he did. And he said it was a very awkward deal, but he proclaimed Jesus. I, I love that. And sometimes if we get put in those situations this week or this month or this year, man, we, we're cowards. We run. <laughs> we're like... I'm going to call you preacher next time we get one. You can answer. Got you on speed dial. Well, I mean, chicken, why do you believe? What's the hope that you have in your heart? So all the believers, they were together. There was this, write down the word, I love this, they were authentic. It was an authentic biblical community under the apostles' teaching that fellowship. There was no pretense. I keep wondering about our church. I think the church that Jesus wants, the church that Jesus died for, is a church to be so authentic that people come just as they are. Scarred, messy, ugly, broken, rich. Poor, educated, uneducated, diverse, ethnicity abounds. I just think Jesus wants a church that is so different from what we see in the church if we're not careful, and it's a church that's broken. How many think that's what God wants to build at Ryan Road? He wants to build an Acts 2 fellowship. I think if we were starting a church over today, I thought about this a lot. I thought, what would you call the church? Because when we planned the church, I kept saying, Pastor, what's the name? What's the name? What's the name? And, and just Christ community kept coming. I said, well, what about Christ community? I goes, oh, that'd be good. And we named it Christ community. And I love that name, triple C and on and on and on. But C3, some people call it. But then I got to thinking, what would it be today? And I've just been thinking about this lately. I said, you know, probably just 242. <laughs> 242, huh? 242. Oh, I wish we, sometimes I wish we were just 242. Everybody goes, what is 242? I am so glad you asked. Can we look at the book of Acts chapter two, verse 42 and following? Is that cool? Okay, so you don't like it. I, I thought it was pretty awesome. I thought, man, the believers, they were together. They were honest. They cared. They shared with one another. They, they loved one another. They'd been taught. They had everything in common. They loosened the tie. Look at the third thing. They were committed to the table. It says, to the fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper. Man, there it is. They were committed to the table. They, they loved the table. The, the, the people would gather and they would, they would have some little tables, and they would, they would celebrate communion together. And every time we see breaking of bread, that's what the, the Scripture talks about, the breaking of bread. And we always, go, we always run to it, communion, ah, communion. And that's part of it. But I'm sort of doing a lot of reflection this week in, in Acts. And a lot of times it does refer to the breaking of the bread, the body of Christ the cup of the vine, the cup of the New Testament, that's part of it. But also in other places, it says, in, and they had meals together. As I was doing a study about ancient Israel and their customs, let me tell you what they did. They would, uh, they would go to house to house often and they would meet. But they had meals together all the time. I mean, man, they had fish and chicken and chips and lasagna. I, I just added that. I don't think they had lasagna. And, and they had all this stuff in there. And at the end of the meal, they would break bread at the Lord's table and they would celebrate Holy Communion together. It was a a fellowship, but it was a table experience. And I'm just thinking, God, what do you want to do in the table? You want people to worship together and you want, God, you're big on biblical community celebrating. Today, when you go to the side tables to receive Holy Communion, I want you to have a new thought. Not just have mercy on me. That's important. Lord, I come to celebrate you. I come to celebrate my sins are forgiven. I come to celebrate the kingdom of Christ. I come in a celebratory spirit today, Lord. Because I know we're more somber and reserved, and I think there's a place for that. But Lord, I come to celebrate your goodness. Lord, I come for... uh, The Bible talks about they would have hospitality. And see, I want you to write this down, think about it. We confuse hospitality and entertaining. Entertaining is about displaying your home, your house, your abode, and, and you want to look good in front of other people. I understand that, entertaining. But hospitality is about serving. I want to serve others, I want to serve their needs. I want to wash their feet. I want to feed them a meal. I want to comfort them. I want to pray for them. So this morning, we come, and Jesus is the host. He says, there's hospitality at my table. You know what else Jesus said? There's room. There's room for you today at the table if you're a person of faith. So this breaking of bread, uh, it's, it's, it's just write down Acts 27, 35. You know, they began to eat. They broke the bread, but they also ate and everything. I remember one time I was studying this years ago, and they talked about communion, and they talked about eat before you come, because some were coming, and they were really hitting the wine up, okay? And, you know, they're like, hey, you're kind of embarrassing yourself there. You know, like, hey, let's let's get this under control, just just thinking, okay? This whole communion service, partaking of the meal, Acts 20, verse 7 and 11. Write that down. You, You can begin to see this, not just the breaking of the bread of Holy Communion, which we will experience in just a moment, but it was the breaking of bread to have a meal. They they celebrated. They they knew what it was to be in fellowship, to be devoted to the fellowship. But let's move here. It says they shared meals. They include the Lord's Supper. And then it goes to prayer. The focus here is the throne. They were committed to the throne of heaven. When you read Acts, they experienced the presence of God. They experienced miracles because they were devoted to prayer. They they wanted to go together. They wanted to pray for Jerusalem. They wanted to pray for their city, for their surrounding areas. I think about how we pray for a nation. They, they worship. They combine themselves. Look at these. They devoted themselves to prayer. Look at these verses that are going to come up. Look at this. They all met together. They were constantly united in prayer. Circle it in your Bible if you read it, Acts 1.14. Along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, the brothers of Christ. Look at the next one. Peter and John went to the temple one in the afternoon. It was their habit to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. That's interesting. They went to the temple at what time? Back it up. They went to the temple one, one, oh, excuse me. I thought it was one o'clock. One afternoon. Okay. I, I thought I just saw an inside I'd never seen. Matter of fact, I must have seen it in my sanctified mind because, anyway, keep going. Okay. You know what I thought it said? <laughs> this is crazy. When I looked up there and I've read this and read it, I thought it went, they went at one o'clock for a three o'clock prayer meeting. I went, there it is. Get here on time. 10 o'clock, not 10, 15. I'm sorry. I will ask for forgiveness before I go to the table, okay? <laughs> Is that goofy? I mean, I'm mean, i just telling you, that's what I saw. Then the apostles can spend time in prayer, and they can teach the word, Acts 6, 4. Let's look at the next one. But while Peter was in prison, jailbird, the church prayed earnestly for him to be released. And what do we know from Scripture? Did Peter get released? He did. Acts 12, 5. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Is there another one? On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. I loved that the women had it together. They were gathering. They were praying. And then Acts uh, 16, 16. Just write these down. One day as we were going down to a place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. But they were going down to a place that was set aside for prayer. Okay. So it's essential here. This, this whole prayer focus is that the thought is Jesus says the church marches on its knees. The church prevails on its knees. This morning, this is so awesome. What a God I know. I, I lead a prayer discipleship warrior prayer time every Sunday morning. We moved it several months ago. Men, you're welcome to join me. Nine o'clock every Sunday morning. We have devotional and prayer. This morning... Man, the room was packed. All these men gathered. It was just a great day. The stars lined up. I don't know what happened. It was awesome. We we gathered in a place for prayer. We we prayed for this service. We prayed for you. We prayed for one another. Here it is. The church was committed to truth. They were committed to the tie that binds. They were committed to the table, and they were committed to the throne. But then I want you to see the end here. Community was essential. The early disciples, they loved community. They, They wanted to connect with one another. Randy Frazee that I wrote about down at the bottom of sources, great guy that talks a lot about connection if you want to read more about that. But I'm just thinking how powerful this was. As they came into community, the Lord gave them, increased their infection, infectious love for Christ, and they moved forward, and, and they were committed, and they depended on him, and they were uh, a functioning body of biblical community that just exalted Jesus in their midst, in their homes. And there was awe over the region, over the people, because Jesus was with them. There was a burning in their hearts. They, they had woken up. I'm reminded of the scripture says, wake up, O sleeper. This morning, could it be that you've gotten a little dull? You've gone to sleep a little bit spiritually. This morning, as your pastor and friend, I would say, wake up. Wake up to the reality of the early disciples of what they had and you can't help but speak the name of Jesus. And you go, Lord, I want more of you. You've got a purpose for putting this together. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 25th verse, and let us not neglect our meeting as we're doing this morning together, as some people do, but encourage one another more, especially as you see the day of his return drawing near. It's always a command of God, draw together, Christians. When you draw together, you find strength. You find forgiveness. You find grace. But then I want to move to a a writer that I read in seminary. His name is Henry Nowen. And I love what he says here. We are united, all of us in this room, we're united by our common weaknesses. Circle the word weaknesses if you wrote this down. We all have weaknesses, and they're common. Our common failures, we all fail. And we have commonalities, we have common failures. Our common disappointments, we all get disappointed. I won't even ask you, but if you've been disappointed, you're like, oh, yeah. And our common inconsistencies. I don't know about you, but I, I want to do the things that I don't, but I do the things that I shouldn't do. It's the whole Romans thing that I battle the flesh, and I want to be filled and controlled and directed by the Spirit. And there's inconsistencies in my life, and there's inconsistencies in yours. Let's ask for grace. Let's ask for mercy. Let's ask for a touch of Christ this morning at the table. Lord, we want your mind. We want your way. We need one another. Lord, we want to tell others about Jesus. We want to be like the early church that burns with the gospel. They're committed to being who you are. I'm going to invite some of the musicians, the team, to come forward because we're going to get ready for this table experience. And this morning, there's a a song. I I got this uh, CD project uh, for, for Christmas, or somebody gave it to me. And uh, it's by one of, I love this artist. Her name's Lauren Daigle. And uh, she wrote this, she has this song called Once and for All. And this morning, Hannah and Chris will sing this over us as we take Holy Communion. And I'm praying that you'll hear the words of this song. You'll worship the God of heaven and you'll invite him into your midst.